0: Welcome to the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Today, I'm super excited to sit down with Noemi Jimenez, who is a co-founder of QB Consulting. Uh, The QB stands for Queen Bee. Uh, We talk about everything from what the heck a human-centered approach to ESG is, to how you put life before work and what that philosophy looks like, uh, not to mention uh, baking humans during the pandemic, and uh, her tips for running a successful business as a mother of two. Have you been feeling totally burnt out lately? Are you exhausted more often than not, that you're not quite sure what has to give? I'm leading a workshop on Tuesday, November 30th at 5 p.m. Pacific on burnout and boundaries, and you don't want to miss it. We'll take inventory across the different dimensions of our lives, look for lessons in those areas where we're thriving, and walk away with a clear set of boundaries to lovingly enforce moving forward. Get the info and grab your spot at elizabethbest.com, that's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H-B-E-S-T dot com slash workshops. I can't wait to see you there. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am super excited to be joined today by Noemi Jimenez, who is a co-founder of QB Consulting um, and someone that I've had the joy of doing a lot of work with over the past year and a half. Um, Maybe before we jump into anything, Noemi, do you want to say hi to our listeners?
1: Hi, everyone, and hi, Liz. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Of course. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you. Um, so my favorite question to ask, just to get right into it, um, <laughs> on the Women Changing mm-hmm. the World podcast, is to ask people, if you could change anything about the world, what's the one thing that you would want to change?
1: So I thought about this yesterday, and the, I mean, the one thing that really comes to mind every time I hear this question is just extreme poverty. And I know maybe that's kind of like the easiest answer to the question, but uh, if that could, if we could change that and everyone, you know, should have access to basic human rights and everyone should be able to eat when they're hungry. That's like the big kind of hairy problem that always comes to mind for me. Now, if we think about what's top of mind, like in my day to day is, paid parental leave and Mm. just making sure that parents have the space and the time to take care of tomorrow's generation. It also seems like it's kind of an obvious thing, but just given like the recent debate here, it's top of mind for me. And it's uh, just mind boggling who gets to make those decisions and the fact that we are a quote unquote developed country and we're not there yet.
0: Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think both of those really resonate um in particular i mean both of them really resonate and the parental leave piece is so top of mind obviously with what's been happening in this country recently it is totally (laughs) Mm mind-boggling so uh yeah i feel you on that well before we jump into i have so many questions i want to ask you but i'd also love to leave space um for you to briefly introduce yourself for anyone who's listening and doesn't know you
1: sure yeah i would love to so i'm noemi i'm the co-founder of qb we started around four years ago we started qb because i was working in the corporate responsibility slash sustainability csr space and kind of looked around the space and didn't really see anyone who looked like me in a leadership level um and i felt that was really problematic just given the communities that we're trying to serve and the type of work that we're trying to do across the board, I felt like there was a really big disconnect between quote unquote sustainability or like environmental side of things and then diversity and inclusion, which at the time is pre 2020, a lot has changed. And now we have ESG as kind of the more prominent, um, you know, the tr- form of thought, but in, in the, pre 2020 world, it, it felt like these were two initiatives that were very, very siloed, and even trying to convince people that they were connected was felt like a stretch. And so I felt like I wasn't the only one who thought that. And I wasn't the only one who was noticing the lack of diversity, in particular, at the leadership level, um, across the space. And so the consulting firm that I was at, in New York, I had been there for a year, it was a boutique consulting firm, I just loved everyone I worked with. Um, I loved our clients. I really just loved the work that I was doing. I was learning so much, but I could already tell pretty much from day one that um, the leadership level, there was just like a disconnect between, you know, what we were trying to accomplish and what we were kind of telling our clients to do and how we were really living those values internally from a DEI perspective, from a, I mean, there was no, just to give you an example, there was no like paid maternity leave and I didn't have kids at the time, but I knew that I wanted them. And so there were kind of some red flags for me already. And that, and then that's when I kind of looked around the space and realized that leadership at most of the firms that I would potentially want to work at were, they all kind of looked the same, so very homogenous at the top. And I felt like there was, our clients would be open to and would be excited to work with a firm that was inclusive, diverse, on purpose, that was had fresh ideas and that was trying to do things in a different way, that was trying to break out of the mold and that was offering solutions that were intersectional, cross-functional in nature. Um, and so the firm that I was at closed from one day to the next, I did not have a job. And I remember feeling, I know you and I were talking about this earlier. I remember just being like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders because I probably wasn't going to leave yet. Mm. But I already was feeling uneasy about certain parts of working at the firm. And so I <laughs> took a little bit of time to just sit on my couch and eat ice cream. But then once I um, started looking around, I I felt like I had this kind of, I felt like I wanted to do something on my own terms. I wanted to start something myself. So I kind of started to put a website together. I started thinking about some names, got a little, got excited. And then probably within the same week, got, um, got overwhelmed. <laughs> and was <this laughs> feeling like I couldn't do this by myself. And maybe I wasn't ready. And like all this imposter syndrome stuff and felt like maybe I needed more time. I didn't know enough. I had only been at this firm for a year and um just kind of shut the idea down and then i i happened to go on a work trip with my husband to san francisco i just tagged along and ate the free hotel food and just went on the plane with him and just saw it as like a vacation and i happened to have breakfast with sam who's my co-founder who her and i had worked at change.org together um back in the day We had breakfast and we were just catching up as friends. And it turned out that she was kind of seeing some of the same things in the space that I was seeing. And we were on sort of parallel tracks. And it was this moment of, should we do something? Like, should we, is this, and we were, I mean, we were literally sitting and having breakfast. We got, we paid the bill. I think we we took a picture, which I still have, um, of our breakfast, because it was so beautiful. (laughs) We got up, we went back to the hotel, which is my husband's our, his work hotel room, we went back to the hotel, got out the hotel stationery, and we drafted a business plan. And I still have that business plan saved. It was like three pages of this tiny hotel stationery. <laughs> I could, got on the flight the next a few days later, came back to New York, which is where I was living at the time. And uh, Sam just went back to her apartment and we decided we we're going to do it. And I, we use that business plan as a blueprint and we came up with a name and we, a website and I called back. So when I had left my firm, uh, one of my clients had asked me, it called me the next day and he said, where are you going? Like, we'll follow you. We'll take our bit, we'll take our business away from this firm and we'll give it to you. And I said, like, I'm not going anywhere. So, but I can help you like informally, but we're, I don't have, we're not, I'm not doing anything. So I called him back. He was our first client. Uh-huh. um and he said okay great well we have some work for you and so uh, okay so was and that was like you know we could go in person at the time so i was living in jersey city and he was in the financial district so i would commute in for meetings and we just started working with them we didn't have a website we didn't have a bank account <laughs> i told him like it's fine we'll start working with you just you just bill us later like we didn't even a contract we didn't have anything and he just deposited so much faith in us. Like, I'm so grateful to him. Um, and we started working with them, And fr- it was small. It was like crumbs of a project that they gave us. From there, we got another project. And they re- recommended us internally to another team. And then we were kind of off. I mean, it was a small project, but it was a big name. He was a great reference for us. And we. It t- it, 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 there was a lot of ups and downs. But... Um, that's how we got started. And I know you asked me about me, and I just gave you a whole <laughs> and a spiel on the business, but I feel like I am the business right now.
0: <laughs> totally, totally. I completely understand that as your your baby grows, you grow with it. Um, and mm-hmm. I do feel like you started very much and kind of like where you were at and the opportunity that you saw in the space, which I very much appreciate. I feel like if you look at the leadership and consulting firms in a space, it's like, I feel like they're doing things that they would never tell their clients to do.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yes. It,
0: and it's like, what? What? Uh, mm-hmm. so hypocritical. Um, so I definitely love that the two of you have like carved out this space. Um, and maybe I guess to just take a step back, because I would love to hear more about you as a person. Um, tell us a little bit about how you came to be in that moment. Um, right before QB. Like, tell us about you. I feel like you've had such an interesting life story. Um, you know, up till now, but mm-hmm. also up to that point.
1: Sure. So I was born. I go way back, I was born in San Francisco, my parents met out dancing, my mom is, um, she's Cuban, but she moved to Brooklyn when she was um, seven. So she grew up in Brooklyn, um, moved to California, I met my dad, they met out dancing, my dad's from Ecuador. My dad started out, um, he moved to the US to go to school, but then kind of took him a longer time to finish. And so he started out washing dishes in a kitchen um, made paid his own way through school graduated holding me in his arms like walking across the stage to get his Aww. diploma um, got his big first job in oil and gas uh, my mom was like a hippie she's a teacher a very like you know she would call herself' she's a communist <laughs> she's um she's kind of they're both very left-leaning but he got his first job in oil and gas and i they would He would work his job monday through friday um for chevron and then on the weekends they would go to like climate justice climate like protests and (laughs) against like oil big oil and so that's that's kind of where my i think activist roots stem from but i always had i was always rooted in this idea that you can make more change from within um and and being kind of having seat at the table you can move the needle sometimes faster not that we don't need those the the activism side to keep to keep hold us accountable and i very much have that within me too but um i think i tell the story of this like just juxtaposition of my my parents and um work and and life because i think issues are not black and white and there's a lot of complexity and i think that thinking Serves our client work uh, a lot, being able to see issues from different perspectives. So, so I was born in San Francisco, moved to New Orleans when I was four. And then when I was eight, we moved to Ecuador, which is where my dad's family is. I grew up there. I went to high school there, finished high school, and then moved to the US uh, for college and had a bit of a culture shock and like identity crisis when I moved to the US. I went to an American school in Ecuador, so spoke perfect English and, um, didn't think I would have as big of a cultural shock moving here because I had was born here and again, went to an American school and sometimes even spoke English at home. It wasn't my pri- our primary language, but we very much still do speak kind of a Spanglish mix. Um, had a culture shock moving back, made me rethink my identity in a lot of ways. When I started working, I worked for uh, right out of school. What was my dream job at the time. Started working at Sesame Workshop. Um, really loved that it was mission-driven. And it made me realize that I could never work for a company that wasn't mission-driven. I was there for a few years. Felt like the pace was a bit slow. So I started. Um, I started grad school. So I would go to school at night and go to work during the day. And learned about what at the time was like um socially, it was like what was the title of the class? It was like social business or like business for good and that kind of like Tom's <laughs> framing. Um, and was fascinated by the intersection of the corporate space and the purpose-driven space and felt like that's where I needed to be instead of being at a nonprofit kind of beholden to investor dollars, although you're always, uh, or sponsor dollars, although you're always beholden to someone. (laughs) But um, yeah, I became fascinated and that's when I left for change.org and met Sam, which was wonderful. And when we both joined change.org, we'd been there for, uh, she joined like two weeks after I did. And when we joined, there were like 80 people at the company maybe. And by the time I left just a year and a half later, Sam stayed longer we were the biggest petition platform in the world and in every country. And it was just like a changed I was everywhere, um, at the time. And so it was just a, uh, exciting time to be there. I learned an incredible amount in a short amount of time in terms of scaling the business and, and the growing pains. Um, and it was fascinating. And then when I left, I had more clarity in terms of what I wanted in, um, in my career. And I had narrowed it down to, ESG or sustainability corporate responsibility consulting and that's when I landed my what then I thought was my dream job my next dream job which was working at this boutique consulting firm working with large clients um mostly like a very established fortune 500 companies with their sustainability strategy and communications and like I said I I really loved it um I now have two kids, which have been born alongside the business. <laughs> um, <laughs> within the first year, I was pregnant. Second year, I had my first, third year, and then Sam got pregnant. Sam just had a baby. And then I had my second, not in that order, but so now we have three QB babies. Um, my, I live in Austin, Texas now. And yeah, well, our whole team is remote. So I'm very proud of the the, the team that we've built so far is amazing, you included. <laughs> Everyone is <laughs> brings something so special and unique. And I think now that our business is growing, it's just exciting to see people reacting to the energy that we've put out there. I think from day one, Sam and I always wanted to be unapologetic about just the way we were in client interactions and how we presented ourselves and how we wanted to be as a business. And that was very that was top of mind from day 1 and i hope that we can we're allowing people who join to also do that and to also be themselves and to bring that because that's the value i think that we bring to clients and that's where we're we're different we're not trying to play inside a box we're trying to create solutions that that actually work and that don't sit in a in a folder somewhere um so i've gone on many tangents but <laughs> that's a little bit about me
0: Thank you. I, I'm here for the tangents. I feel like there's so many different threads that from what you just shared that I want to pick up on. Um, and maybe I'll start with the QB babies first. Um, I know, as, as you mentioned, you're the mother of two little girls who are so cute. Um, and I'm curious, you know, it's, a big thing to become a mom. It's a big thing to run a business during a pandemic. It is a huge thing <laughs> to be a mom running a business mm-hmm. that's growing during a pandemic. And I'm curious um, if you have any like thoughts on that experience, any words of wisdom, anything that like you've learned, you know, from living through that and continuing to live in that, um, you know, past over the past year and a half and going forward.
1: Yeah. Good question. And I'll just preface my response by saying that I am definitely still figuring it out. So anyone who's listening, who like I do not have it figured out some days are better than others. When people ask me how I'm doing, I think the best way to characterize that is like surviving and thriving (laughs) some days (laughs) some parts of the days I'm just surviving in some parts. I feel like, okay, I'm winning, but, um, it's always a mix. And I would say in terms of advice, um, I think also one of our, so one of our board members, Carla Gallardo, who's the co-founder of Cuyana, which is one of my fa- all time favorite women owned brands. She's on our board. She said in an interview once and it stuck with me, she said that balance, cause she got asked the same question. Um, she has two kids now. She said that balance is a myth and that we should just let go of that idea. Um, and I think nothing has ever resonated more with me. The one thing that, um, so just, of like contextualize if anyone who's listening is in this situation is you can't do all the things and that's okay just like setting expectations um not even lower but just changing the expectations of being able to do everything and doing it all well and with that um the one thing that has helped me is to lean on people for support and that goes for in the house finding someone whose, whose job it is, or finding a, a community that can take care of the kids and help in that task. For a long time, I did it. And I won't say by myself, because my husband is an equal partner with me in, in parenting, and in life. But um, for a long time, I took that, we took that on ourselves, and we didn't have any help. And uh, over the last few months, we have brought someone on to help us. And I know that not everyone is able to do that. It's totally a privilege. That has been a game changer. If it's not someone who's the dedicated person, it's maybe it's a daycare center, maybe it's bringing on a babysitter, a family member, that has been a game changer because for the longest time we didn't have a dedicated, dedicated support. We had, you know, kind of like ad hoc, but that is what allows me to show up every day. Um, And then delegating and, and finding support at work too. So really sitting back and thinking, what are all the, what's, what are all the things on my plate? I use this matrix. That's like the important, I forget what it is, like priority, um, urgency. Oh, the, the
0: urgent, important matrix yeah, or it's yeah, like,
1: yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: is it yes. urgent and important? Is it urgent, exactly. but not important? Is it not important and not urgent? <laughs>
1: Exactly. And that has been helpful just to have I just sits on my desk. I write on it with a pencil and then I erase and then I redo every day or every few days. That in itself has been an amazing tool. Um and then also just thinking like what are the things that I enjoy and I again because of the role that I'm in, I am privileged that I can like to a certain extent choose what I do and don't want to do. But then I think through like what is it that I actually have bandwidth for? And then what are all the things that either can wait or that I, I need to ask someone else for help with. And I don't know if it's a, I don't know, I don't know if it's a woman thing, a mom thing, or if it's just a me thing, but I have a lot of trouble asking for help. And, and I've identified that about myself over the last year. And just just coming to that realization has been a game changer because I can then sit back and say, okay, I'm feeling like there's too much on my plate. What is it that I need to take off of my plate so that I can actually enjoy both the spaces that I'm in, which is, being a mom and finding time to do that during the day and then working, which I also enjoy, and finding time to do that well and show up.
0: Totally, totally. No, I think that's, I mean, that resonates so much, even as someone who's not a mom. I think it's like figuring out, like, what, I don't know, when I look at like my to do list, it's like, okay, what on this list do I actually need to do? Mm-hmm. And what on this list needs to get done? but it doesn't have to be by me. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, Jamie Varon, who actually was a guest on the podcast last week, um, we didn't talk about this, but she's a brilliant writer. And one of the things that she wrote about that just really resonated with me is this idea for women in particular, kind of to your point, that when men bring on support in like their businesses or their lives, we often see it as like a quote unquote boss move. Mm-hmm. And then as women, for whatever reason, so many of us feel like ashamed that we couldn't do everything ourselves. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. how do we normalize that it is a boss move <laughs> to ask for <laughs> help as a woman mm-hmm. too?
1: Yeah, I, I could not agree more. I feel shame up up until even now, just telling you that we've brought someone on to help. I feel that, ba- I mean, I feel bad every day handing the baby over, um, Yeah, I mean, it's guilt that I want it to go away and I know that it's what's allowing me to do my job, but I, it's still there. It's still there. I I think in having other people kind of remind you how awesome you are, like I had a mom, just like a neighborhood mom text me the other day, yesterday, last night. She was telling me how her daughter like bust her lip open and she was feeling so bad because it was her fault and she bought her these, um, she was wearing shoes that were too big that she had just bought her and she went on the swing unsupervised or like with her husband and she fell off the swing and she's like feeling like it's all her fault because the swing, she like pushed to get that swing installed in the yard and, it, you know, it was like, it was her fault that the kid had. And I was just like, wait a minute, what, what I'm hearing is you bought your kid new shoes, you like thought of that and you took the time to find new shoes for her and she liked them, she was wearing them, you found the time to to find a cool swing, which you put in the yard, which she also loved and went on. I was like, that kid could have fallen wearing the right shoes and not on the swing at all. It's like, do not blame yourself. Like you are doing an amazing job. You are doing a lot. You have a lot on your plate. And her response, I mean, even in saying it, I was like, I want to say that to myself sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) And, and in saying that to her and feeling her response of like oh thank you like you know no one's telling her that and it's not that she we all go through that at some point where we're just like stuck in our own kind of wheel of what we could have done better or feeling guilty about asking for help or whatever it is and i just feel like women supporting women is the most powerful and it's true for the mom community it's true for women who are entrepreneurs it's true for women in general i love feeling that support of that community and like giving it back in whatever way I can. It's like the best feeling and getting it back sometimes can be like a lifesaver, a game changer. And you don't even know that you've done that just by telling someone like, I see you and you're doing great.
0: Mm. Uh, yes. And I, it's like, I'm like, also like, why can't we all talk to ourselves the way we talk to other women Mm -hmm. when we're supporting them Mm -hmm. in their tough moments? I just heard so much compassion, right? That was so easy for you to channel for this other mom. And it's like, how do we, and I know that I have room to grow on this myself of like, how Mm -hmm. does the soundtrack in my own mind also, you know, change in a way that it sounds as loving and compassionate as what I say to like every other woman around me in my life.
1: Yeah. And I think too, like uh, just investing in yourself and and to whoever's listening, this is I promise this wasn't like a pre-planned plug, but honestly, like executive coaching has been a game changer for me this year, part of last year. I think that, because some of the things that I'm telling you, this story, just like telling this other mom are things that when I speak with an executive coach, that's what I hear back to. Like that's, you know, hearing it back. That the, And I am telling my husband, like that's something that I, that's, I go through that same train of thought, like, oh, I should have done this and this, and this didn't go well. And then having someone repeat back to you, okay, wait a minute. So what you're saying is, if two kids at home and you didn't have enough time to prep for this meeting, but you crushed it anyway, like that having someone say back to you is just, And then eventually you get used to hearing, hearing yourself
0: Mm -hmm. say those
1: things that are not true and catching yourself. Because as I was hearing this mom tell me the story, I was like, that, that's exactly like, it was just like a moment of, that's how I talk to myself. And I, it's a reminder that I shouldn't. And now I can like be that informal coach for her. But, um, having that framework and having that person to lean on or to text when you're doing a good job or not doing a good job just having that person is is amazing I think it's like the best money I've ever spent
0: oh that's awesome I'm so happy to hear that and I'm as you know obviously such a proponent of the value mm-hmm. of coaching it's just it's so nice to have someone who mm-hmm. um who's not your partner who's not your friend who's not your mom yeah. who's not your sister who can help mm-hmm. you think through some of this stuff hmm um, well, and I love what you had shared, too, about, um, you know, other women-owned businesses, supporting other women. Um, and I know that's something that is really important to you as a human. Um, so I'd love to hear more about your philosophy on making space for other women and women-owned businesses.
1: Yeah, so... When Sam and I first started the business, there was somebody else who was starting around the same time as us. And I'll just name her because you've already interviewed her, but it's Jess at Reconsidered. We were kind of at similar places in our lives, thinking of starting um, a firm and in the same space, kind of in the same um, line of work. And I forget if I reached out or she did, I think we had already been in touch through a mutual friend or something in New York and we went out and had um it's like the first and only time i've had japanese uh curry we went Mm. in koreatown in new york it was so good just found a place and we went out for lunch and we just like shared our plans with each other no like gatekeeping no it was just like what are you this is what i'm thinking what are you thinking and this was pre her launching the reconsidered newsletter which is amazing and one of my favorites still um, and she was kind of thinking of doing that. And while I was thinking about QB, and we just kind of just made like, it's like an unspoken promise to support each other and to continue sharing information. And we've, again, informally, but we've been chatting on a right, somewhat regular basis um, over the years. And then I became a mom, she became a mom, and we've just stayed in touch. And just recently, we've been informally chatting about ways to support each other and to you know potentially even work together at some point but i think that is an example of a a a real a business i mean it's we're we weren't friends before um starting our businesses but now that we we're both kind of in the same place where we have a business we have kids we're kind of navigating a space that is primarily primarily does not look like us um There's just, there's space for all of us, I really think. And the more we support it, we're all, especially in this line of work, we're all trying to accomplish the same things, Mm -hmm. maybe in different ways, maybe with different partners, you know, in different, different spaces, but we're essentially all trying for the same thing. And so the idea of not supporting one another to me is like, is mind boggling. I remember when the last firm that I was at, the, one of the co-founders, one of the um, owners, had like a rivalry to the death with another firm um of somebody who looked just like them and i just remember thinking and it was like a known thing like if this person if this company is pitching for the same work like we're not gonna engage or like let's there was somebody kind of looking up what this other firm was doing on a regular basis and making sure like we wanna it was just like such a, a like a cartoonish rivalry and I remember asking about it and it was like, oh, back in the day, they kind of started together and then they branched off. And I just remember thinking like, well, aren't we all trying to do the same things? Though, could <laughs> we find ways of like working together or supporting each other? I mean, especially now there's so much work. We are inundated. We Sam and I have conversations on a daily basis about, we are at capacity. And, and in order to serve our clients in a way that we continue feeling proud about and, and uphold the reputation that we have, which is one of the reasons we're getting so much business, we really have to limit you know, the amount of new business that we take in. And so with that, like, there's space for all of us. There is space for more women-owned businesses in the space. There's space for more minority-run, owned, led uh, businesses. And so anytime I get a request from anyone who's in that space, like I, I hope, and I hope like other people think this is true. I, I like reach out, reach my hand out, make time on my calendar. I'm happy to share everything I've learned in this journey. I'm happy, happy to share resources. I'm happy to put people in touch with other people because so many people helped me on the way up and are still helping me. I lean on mentors on a daily basis. Um, it just, it doesn't make sense to me not to. Sometimes I'm, I'm busy and I have to punt a month or two months, but I will always make time. And I think we just, we need more of that instead of like the gatekeeping that sometimes happens because we have there's big hairy problems that need fixing and we're not going to do
0: it alone. Totally, totally, and I didn't. I knew you and Jess knew each other, but I did not know that that was the history on your relationship. So I appreciate <laughs> yeah. the peek behind the curtain, um, and I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think, I don't know, competition in a lot of ways. Like, I think there are benefits to competition. I think it can make us better, but I also feel like mm-hmm. it's such an outdated. Idea, especially in our space, when you think about what we're trying to accomplish, it's like it's going to take everyone and then some. Like we still need to recruit more people to this team to, to you know, save the planet. Like no big deal.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know, and I might regret saying that there's space for all of us because I don't want to, but but there is space for all of us, and and especially when I get recently a lot of the new requests that I'm getting, we're getting for new business. Is like part of whatever the intro is like. Hey, by the way, we really, we really want to work with a women-owned business, or like we're looking for a minority-owned business this year. And so there's this shift after 2020 of people are like, oh, like you know, just focus on supplier diversity. Or like we want to bring in new ideas. And one way that people have control over that is is people who are in charge of like you know vendor relationships or are bringing on new vendors. That's a way that people feel like they can make a difference, and they and they absolutely can. And so when I get those emails, I actually haven't asked anybody this, but I should. It's like, I don't know of too many others in our space that are women owned minority run businesses. And maybe I'm missing them. And if you're listening and that's you, like, I would love to connect with you. Um, Cause like I said, we should be helping each other and propping each other up. But I don't know that there are too many others that are doing exactly what we're doing, um, ESG strategy and communications. And maybe I'm wrong. And next time I get an email like that, I'm going to ask who else people were considering. But it feels like, you know, we're we're one of the only ones and that shouldn't be the case.
0: Totally, totally. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, Well, and I know a big part of how QB approaches the ESG strategy and communications work, which I really love, is taking a human-centered or human-first approach. And so for anyone who's not kind of familiar with that terminology, do you mind defining what it means to take a human-centered approach to ESG or sustainability?
1: Sure. Yeah. So I'll I'll say like externally first, what that means to us is we do a lot of stakeholder engagement and stakeholder engagement sounds like this fancy, like corporate term. It's really just conversations with other human beings. And the way we approach that is like, forget about the numbers it's people who make up organizations, people who make up companies. We run the way we run stakeholder interviews or conversations is slightly different. We're not we have our facilitation guides and kind of our we have we do all the prep work, but we really take time to try and understand what it is that moves the person that we're talking to. So what are the points that they're that they continue sticking on what's what is the their background introduction tell us about what their motivators are intrinsic or extrinsic why are they making the decisions that they're making and so we approach it with somewhat of a kind of like psychological or sociological um perspective we don't lead people to any um to any kind of pre-planned responses so when we do all our research and due diligence on whoever we're interviewing um, and and scan of the space for whoever whichever client we're working with we have our hypothesis of what we think we might hear from each conversation but the way the discussion guides are um designed and the way our researchers or our our stakeholders interviewers are trained is we're not trying to lead people to a certain question we try to follow it try to follow the thread of the conversation as if you're talking to another human being, which you are. We're not trying to do like question, answer, extract information, move on. We try to follow the thread of the conversation. If we hear someone um, respond, we get clarity and then try to repeat back to, um, to each stakeholder what was said so that we make sure that we're really pulling out what is top of mind for each stakeholder and not trying to just like check off um, a box in our in our process. So and we've gotten really good feedback, both from stakeholders who are participating, who we get notes saying like that was actually enjoyable or that's my favorite kind of like actually someone who didn't want to participate. And then they're like, oh, that was actually nice. And that's mostly from people who are not necessarily um, involved in the ESG space or people who are saying. but they learned a lot because there's a, a lot of value too in the stakeholder engagement process. So we're going in to get answers, but we're also sometimes going in to try to cultivate champions and advocates for the work that our client is doing. So for example, if we're doing interviews for a stakeholder for a, for a materiality assessment, we might be interviewing people who are not necessarily bought into the whole idea of ESG or maybe have their reservations. So our goal when we go into client conversations is what, do you, what else can we get out of this time, this valuable time that we have with the stakeholder? We have an hour. Can we spend some time educating them on the process and what we're trying to achieve? And that's not necessary for all stakeholders, but certain stakeholders, there might be a lot of value in doing that. Maybe we're interviewing a board member or the CEO, and maybe someone is hesitant on why they're investing dollars in, you know, in this work. Our job is to make sure they understand the value and what's in it for them, where they sit. So it's really just taking a more holistic approach to the conversation and not, it's not just an interview, it's really an opportunity.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I think often, so often when people are being tapped for those interviews, um, it's really a chance to think about the big picture in a way that people don't always get to in their jobs. And so I love your approach of both figuring out what people are saying, but they're not saying it as well as, you know, making it fun and an opportunity for people to, to engage with a process that they may or may not have positive feelings going into.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. It's like trying to get at what the core is, like what, what's the heart of what they're trying to say. And that might not always align with what you thought they were going to say or what you want them to say. Um, so it's, it's really just, being a really, really, really good listener, which is partially by design and partially just practice. So we, um, all of our interviewers are kind of attuned to to that style of, of conversation.
0: Definitely, definitely. When I'm curious, thinking about the the ESG space more broadly, um, you mentioned, I mean, and, and certainly I've seen an experience that it feels like it's exploding right now in a good mm-hmm. way, um, in a long overdue way. Um, but I'd love to hear, especially from where you sit, like what trends or shifts you're seeing and if you have any like crystal ball predictions for 2022.
1: Yeah, so... Uh, what I'm seeing is was kind of what I talked about before, just like all of a sudden everyone wants to work with the women-owned business. And that is, I, I foresee more of us cropping up, or at least that's my hope. Like it can't just be us doing, like I said, we're already at capacity. <laughs> we have to start saying, we've already started saying no to new business on like tight timelines. It's just we, we, we literally can't. And like I was telling you before, I want to say yes to everything, but that's not the, the it's not the right thing to do. Um, And so I I feel and hope that more firms like ours will crop up and maybe it's not next year, maybe it's over the next few years, but I can't see the space continuing to operate as it has given the amount of energy and excitement around climate justice versus just like climate change and um, integration of DEI and sustainability into one kind of one seat. And so I think there are a lot of shifts that are necessitating a different kind of approach to this work. And I know a lot of existing firms are trying to catch up. We've seen a lot of firms um, that we've been monitoring from day one, kind of our peers, um, starting to adopt some of the language that we we I'm not saying they're copying us necessarily, but adopting some of this language that is more like climate justice and climate resilience and integrating DEI and sustainability, people centered, people first, like we've seen a lot of that language crop up from competitors who re- rebranded and are trying to reach um, or kind of fill this gap that that's where that's what we were born out of is seeing that that hole in the space and trying to fill it. Um, we're seeing a lot of firms trying to adopt that um, that tone. And so that's fine. But I also foresee a lot of other new firms are going to be cropping up to to fill that gap. And I I mean, I welcome that. I would love to see that.
0: So I'm curious to hear, um, for you as a human, uh, what has been your biggest silver lining or takeaway from the pandemic, kind of looking back over the past year and a half or so?
1: So I should start with, I had a baby so that
0: (laughs) (laughs) my COVID baby.
1: So that's like what I hopefully will remember this (laughs) a lot this time as, but I think it's also, I mean, something that's probably been covered so much is that people are rethinking like business as usual and what it means to go to work and what, like what work should and should not be. Um, this like philosophy of that we hold close at QB is like life should come first and work should come second. That was born out of just in general feeling like that that should be true regardless of your situation. But um, we also went through right before COVID, my oldest got sick and we spent some time in the hospital. And I just remember like, you know, in those situations, like everything fades away and it reminds you like what's important and what absolutely is not. So anytime I'm interviewing someone or we're onboarding, like I make sure to let people know your life comes first. And it's it's something that I shouldn't have be, be having to say to people, but I feel like because of the way work culture is in this country, it's like people are more often than not like pleasantly surprised or like like hearing that because it's not said enough. But to me, it's, it should be obvious. Um, Life comes, comes first and work comes second. Like I do not care. And again, our company was, was built on this like remote, flexible team. I do not care if you have a doctor's appointment in the middle of the day. I do not care if you have to go pick up your kid. I do not care if you have to be off camera because you're breastfeeding. That's me most of the time. <laughs> like I, I don't care. I mean, people are being brought on to do to, to contribute to a team to, to do a, a, a task or a job. I don't care when that gets done. And I do think that me saying that us saying that pre COVID was kind of like novel. And post COVID, I'm delighted at the amount like that's, that's out there, right? That narrative is like, that's how we operate now, or how we should how people want to see companies operate. And I think companies are catching up. But obviously, people are leaving at record rates, and people are jumping around trying to find that ideal spot. Um, And I love that shift. Because again, it's, it's something that we, we were trying to do from day one. And now it's like, post COVID. It's not a surprise when I say that it's not, it's not really unique or new, but I love that. That's, that seems to be the direction that we're headed in.
0: Right. Well, and honestly, it does seem so novel in the impact space in particular. I was just, um, you know, leading a retreat for my mastermind, the girls club. And we were having a really interesting conversation around this. And it would like, I feel like for me personally, I was asking myself on the drive out and I wish I could tell you what precipitated this but I was just like you know at what point did I decide that like my career was more important than my life because there was definitely like in my 20s a solid chunk of time <laughs> and like it's something I'm still unlearning um just the extent to which my career came before everything else and I'm like you know when I was scooping ice cream at 16 it didn't come before anything else. (laughs) So like, where's the middle ground? And like, is it because this work is so existential and it, you know, feels so important, but I feel like it's such a slippery slope for so many of us that it does really bear stating. And it also is kind of like a breath of fresh air to hear that expectation that your life actually does come first.
1: Yeah. I just think about like, we're not saving lives. We are trying to change the world, But we can't do that if we're burnt out and just, like, jaded and, you know, and that's the feeling that I had when I was when I was working at these consulting firms in New York is, like, I looked around and everyone around me was just, like, tired. And like I said, they were some of the smartest people I've worked with, like, so passionate and amazing human beings and are all doing really cool things now. And I just I was like, I could tell from the day one, like, people were burnt out, people were tired And you can't, you can't operate like that for very long. And I think the energy, just a different energy. And so when we started QB, Sam and I wanted to be purposeful about like allowing people to have space to, I don't know, enjoy, enjoy work. Like we spend most of our time working, even if you're, I mean, you're nine to five Monday through Friday, like that's most of your life you're working. And if you don't like it and you're unhappy, there's no way to have that not bleed into other parts of your of your life and I know it's a privilege to be able to choose that you know not everyone has the privilege to choose a job that is fulfilling and that they like but for a lot of us in this space if if we do then that that's important to keep in mind is, is what's going to make you happy if you have the ability to choose that then you know that that's going to just lead to better results in the in the short and long term
0: hmm Definitely. Definitely. Well, and I'm curious, I love asking people on the podcast, this question, if you could give your younger self and you can pick any age, if you want to pick a specific age or not, um, some advice, what advice would you want to give to your younger self? Yeah, that's a good question.
1: Um, so when I was, I was, what age was I when I graduated, 21, when I graduated from college, my first job, I was an administrative assistant, at Sesame Workshop. One of my first, so I was doing all, I was scheduling calendars, I was doing all of that stuff for about a year. Um, one of my first mentors, someone who trained me, who's still a really good friend of mine, told me, she was training me, and like, you know, when you have to go up to HR to get paperwork, you have to go get payroll, whatever, whatever all my tasks were across the company, she told me you have to kill him with kindness. She said, you attract more bees with honey. Like you have to just be, and, and it's not a, any different than how I would have operated, but it really stuck with me. Um, and I think for a lot of my early career, I just took the, especially at that company, I took the road of, um, I don't know what the right like adjective is, but I I was very eager to please or kind of trying to make everybody happy um and i think that's also like a gender and cultural thing that i've carried with me but i remember that piece of feedback reminded me like all right if i want to get things done i just need to be like as nice as possible and i need to like even if people are being unreasonable with me or mean or abusive or whatever i need to be just the nicest person i need to get it done And if I go back and, and add something to that, because I don't disagree that, you know, you, you, what is the saying? Like catch more flies with, (laughs) you
0: catch, yeah, (laughs) catch more flies with honey, I think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, if I could add to that, I would just add that also know and demand your worth. So understand like what it is that you're bringing to the table and state that, and then make sure that you're, um, being treated in a way that is fair, and that you're being—it applies to everything, right? Like compensation, like people respecting your time, people um, giving you opportunities, and all of those things. And so, I, I wish I could add that, and and that just some things are worth losing. You don't have to mm-hmm. win all the things. As I said before, I don't know if I said it in our conversation or on the recording, but um, I have a hard time saying no. <laughs> so, it's something I'm still struggling with. But if I could add back to my 21 year old self. Like some things are worth losing and that's okay. And you move on and there are better things that are coming.
0: Yes. Oh, and I feel like that I it's like, I think it is such good advice that like you catch more flies with honey thing. But I also what if you reminded me of this quote, and I wish I knew where it came from that I got probably like four or five years ago, which I think about all the time, which is like, it's not your job for everyone to like you, and if everyone mm-hmm. likes you, you're probably not doing your job.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's um, so funny that you say that. I was in a, I was doing like a board presentation last week, and the CEO asked at the end of the call, "Well, what if we put out our goals, um, and when we put out like this big statement, this ESG statement and the goals, and what if people?" Um, what if it's not, not enough for people or what if it's not what people wanted and then they want us to do more? And this was like an outer out of body experience for me, honestly, because and I hope he doesn't hear this. <laughs> but it's an out of out of body experience for me because I said basically that to him. I said, you know, you're never going to make everyone happy and you shouldn't even try. Um, and then I kind of explained like the value of the materiality assessment and having a matrix and how that helps you focus in on the things that are truly material and blah, blah. Um, but that was kind of an outer body experience thinking like, am I just, did I just give this like CEO of this like big public company advice? Did <laughs> I just like, I see, and then he was nodding, he was agreeing and the board was agreeing. And I was just like, then I kind of like muted and like, kind of just like sat with him. So <laughs> like, did I just do that? um but yeah so i agree that board agreed and the ceo <laughs> agreed you can't and shouldn't try to make everyone happy because you won't
0: totally oh my gosh board and ceo approved <laughs> i love it yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, well, the last thing I wanted to ask uh, in a similar vein, uh, one of my favorite questions to ask podcast guests inspired by a, a question from the Tim Ferriss show back in the day, he would ask people if they could have a billboard outside of New York City, what they'd put on the billboard. Um, but I and many of the women in my world, we don't have billboards. We do have post-it notes all over our desks like crazy people uh, with, with inspirational like phrases and sayings. Um, And it is my not at all secret wish that one day I'm going to like make a deck, I'm going to print a deck of pre populated inspirational (laughs) post it notes. Um, And so I'm curious, like what word or phrase or saying, um, would you want to put on yours? Or have you been kind of turning over in your brain lately?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, I'm going to steal one from these women who I was on a panel with who own a, um, it's like a wine subscription business. It's called the Sip Society. And they were asked that question. And I actually, after she said it, I wrote it on a post-it and put it (laughs) on my desk. Um, The quote was, but what if it does work Mm. and that's it? And it's like, when you're thinking through like all these things, especially as you're building a business and you're like, oh, I could do this, could do that. It's like, you have all the, you have the no on your, you know, you have to think through like, what if it doesn't work? But I love this, like the positivity and the thinking behind like, well, what if it does work? Like, what would that look like? And what would happen? And all the questions that follow. So that's, that's what I have on my desk right now.
0: Uh, what an inspirational note to end on. I feel like we have to stop there because I <laughs> love that so much. It's going on my desk as well. Love it. Awesome. Well, I am so appreciative of your taking the time to chat with me today. It has been such a like ray of sunshine in my day. Um, and I would love to know for people who are listening who want more of you, more of QB, where's the best place for people to to find you and to keep in touch?
1: So our website is www.consultqb.com. We are lightly on Instagram at the moment. We're on Twitter also, consult underscore qb. My personal um, Twitter account is public as well. It's n u n u wins. So n u n u wins. Uh, and I'm also on LinkedIn. I try as much as possible to respond to people who want to have informal kind of coffee chat conversations. Uh, like I said, it sometimes they're a little bit out um, scheduled a bit in advance, but I try to make time. So anyone who wants to chat can reach me there. Um, email is on the website as well. Although these days my inbox is flooded, so I won't even give that, although it's there if you really want to reach me. But I think um, LinkedIn inbox is probably a bit lighter.
0: Awesome. Well, I'll put in a shameless plug for you uh, that the QB newsletter is awesome. Um, and I'm guessing the website is the best spot for people to sign up for that.
1: Yep. That's the best place you should get a pop-up when you come onto our website, uh, to sign on. We send it once a month and it's one of us, one of our team members writing it. It's kind of our unfiltered thoughts on what we're seeing in the space. And we try to make it, you know, a bit more conversational, something that people might actually read. We share events there and some of our blog posts that our consultants write, um, events this this uh this podcast might go in in the november one so yeah it's we our list is growing i'm always surprised at how many people want to read the newsletter but um thank you for plugging that the website is the best place to sign up
0: awesome of course well thank you so much again i so appreciate it Um, it was so fun to sit down with you and i'm excited to to shine a spotlight on you and the work that you're doing
1: Awesome. Thank you, Liz. This was great. This is really fun. Likewise, a ray of sunshine in my day. And thanks everyone who was listening. I hope it was helpful.
0: Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at Liz.Best, that's L A dot B-E-S-T, or by searching my name, Liz Best, on LinkedIn. If you're feeling like something has to give in your life, but you're not quite sure what, take my free Wheel of Life assessment by visiting Elizabeth Best, that's Elizabeth with an S, best.com slash wheel hyphen of hyphen life. See you in the next episode.